I'm sure many of you have been in the situation of starting a new job. Maybe for some of you it was many, many years ago. Maybe for some of you uh, it's more recent. Maybe for some of you you haven't yet done it yet for the first time. It's something that's ahead of you. And you're looking forward to that day of getting up early in the morning, going out and, uh, and working hard and uh, coming home at the end of the week or end of the month, getting your very first pay packet, deciding what you're going to spend your money on. I remember when I started work, the very first thing that I spent money on was a Pioneer Hi-Fi for my bedroom. And it was a good Hi-Fi. I, mean, I, I saved hard for, for a few months and uh, I was you know, very excited about it when I finally went to buy the thing and install it in my bedroom, much to my parents' slight disquiet about this new loud hi-fi that had arrived at home. Um, but I, I remember what it was like uh, then starting a, starting a job and subsequently over the years starting a new job. And when you start a job, a number of things happen. Probably you're given a contract and in the contract is uh, spelt out to you what the expectations are. Along the lines of, if you do this, that and the other in these hours, or maybe achieve these certain goals, we as an employer will reward you with you know, this much money per month. And maybe if you're lucky, a pension plan or, or other fringe benefits like luncheon vouchers that I had in one job. And that's all very well. A contract tells you some things. But when you start a new job, there are some things that a contract doesn't tell you. And that's to do with the whole culture of the organisation or the business that you're working for. Culture is to do with things like maybe the dress style, now what you're expected to wear. Things like what happens at lunch hours. You know, a contract can tell you one thing, but you, know, you very quickly find out whether the expectation is that you work through your lunch hour and just grab a sandwich if you're lucky, or if the culture of the organisation is now you down towards and you're out to a local park for an hour. I've worked for a number of different companies over the years and uh, some of them were very much, you know, you go out for an hour and you take your break and that's your, that's your due and you need to make sure you do it. And others were, well, although it was legally that you could do that, it was very much frowned upon. And that wasn't told in a contract, it was to do the culture. You know, things like how you address your senior colleagues, whether it's Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. or Miss So-and-so or, or whether you use first-name terms. Things like the, the finishing time. You, know, you, might, you might have a contract that says 9 to 5.30, but the culture of an organisation might be long hours and you're expected to stay there until late in the evening. These sort of things are to do with the culture. And behind culture is, to do, is something to do with values. Culture is the way things are done around here, wherever here happens to be. But behind that are values. And it's some of the values of building a church that I want to look at this morning. Maybe another way of putting it is, what's the culture around here? What sort of church are we trying to build? What are we going for? So your values are important to you. The values that you have define the way you act, what you do, how you speak to other people. The dictionary defines values as principles or standards. 
And whilst in many areas the New Testament is not prescriptive in necessarily how to build a church, it is in some areas, some areas it's not quite so prescriptive, it does give us a number of principles. And they're very clear. And whilst Paul might not write a letter to a certain church and say, dear certain church leaders, these are the values and principles you need to have, it's very clear that we can understand them through reading his letters and uh, other books in the New Testament. We can very easily pick up what some of the values are. And there's some of those principles I want to look at this morning. If you've been around Jubilee for a while, then this should serve as a reminder to you. If you like, it's a, a, a check that we're, we're still going for the same sort of things. But it may help us see some things that we need to refocus on afresh. Maybe a, a reminder of what we want to go for. If you're new to us, relatively new to Jubilee, then I'm hoping that this will give you an idea of the sort of church that we want to build. What we're going for, what some of our values are, what the culture's like around here. And so I'm hoping that what we look at this morning will serve as a bit of a mirror, if you like, and we can hold it up against us and see how we're doing. The trouble with mirrors is they tell you the truth, don't they? So I can look in the mirror and think, no, I haven't really got a spot there, but when I look in the mirror, I find that it's red glowing and saying hello to me very loudly. It tells you the truth, doesn't it? Well, I'm hoping this morning what we look at together will serve us as a mirror, as a check, if you like, on how we're doing on a few things, to provoke us, and to challenge us to be all that God wants us to be. Because I'm sure, like me, you want to be all that God wants you to be. Both individually and us together as a church. Amen? Okay, well let's pray, and then we'll uh, have a look at a few of these things together. Father, I want to thank you for uh, being with us already this morning. We thank you for your presence uh, so near to us as we worshipped you. And God, we pray now that you would speak to us, please. Help us to understand afresh the sort of church you want us to build. Did we hear from you afresh this morning? Lord, hold your word up to us as a mirror that we might see how we're doing. And challenge us and provoke us that we might truly honour you in all we do personally and all that we're doing in building Jubilee together. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Okay, I'd like us to start by travelling in time together. I want you to imagine that Doctor Who has just arrived with a, with a rather funny colour blue phone box and uh, he's going to time travel us to a different era. So we'll get inside and we're going to go to a land far away. Okay, you ready for a bit of time travelling? We're going to a land far away, a time very different to ours, language and culture different to what we're used to in this country. And I want us to travel back just under 2,000 years. And I'd like us to land in Jerusalem. Okay? We're there. Alright? Now we're here. I want you to imagine we're here. Alright? Now we're here. What I'd like us to do is to randomly pick out a typical New Testament Christian. So I want you to look around with me. Okay, imagine we've just arrived in the Jerusalem church or one of the other New Testament churches and we're going to look around and randomly pick out a New Testament Christian. Okay? And so imagine we've done that and uh, our, our random, typical New Testament Christian is now standing up on this table. 
in front of us, okay? So if you can imagine that, I want us to imagine together what would the hallmarks be of our randomly chosen, picked out New Testament. What do you think we would see? What do you think some of the hallmarks would be? What would we see if we just chose somebody at random? What are some of the things we'd see before us? Well, the book of Acts tells us the sort of church that we might see. If we were to travel back there, if we were to turn up and see one of their meetings, it tells us the sort of things that we may see. Acts chapter 2, it may be a passage that you're familiar with. Let's read a few verses together, starting at verse 42. It says this. So this is describing now our friends who we've just uh, said hello to for the first time, who's our typical New Testament Christian. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what are some of the hallmarks then of the of a New Testament Christian. Well, firstly, we see there they were devoted. They were devoted. Devoted to God, obviously. Devoted to the Apostles' teaching. The Bible says they are devoted to the fellowship or to the church. They are devoted to the breaking of bread. They are devoted to prayer. That's a quite a lot of devotion, really, isn't it? I mean, that's devoted to quite a lot of things. Just interesting before we move on, being devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Listen, we're going to pray this evening and we're going to meet in the dance studio just across there from 6 till 7. We're going to have communion together as well. We're going to break bread and pray and pray for God to come. Pray for God to add to us. Pray for God uh, to bless us and pray that we'd see many people saved and added into his kingdom. Pray for his kingdom to come in this city. Pray for his will to be done. Pray for one another possibly as well. So we're going to do that this evening. I want to urge you to come from 6 until 7. We'll break bread and pray together. What else? Well, they were devoted. They were filled with awe. All say awe together. Awe. They were filled with awe. Why? Because there were wonders and miraculous signs. God was breaking in all over the place. The Holy Spirit, his power was everywhere. Everywhere you turned, everywhere you looked, God, it seems, was doing something. They were filled with awe. No surprise. They were committed to one another. They had everything in common. So the Bible tells us they sold possessions as one another had needs. They met one another's needs. They met together regularly in the temple courts. That was a large meeting. And they met together in their homes that would have been a smaller meeting. They were full of joy. See our New Testament Christian here? He's full of joy. They had glad and sincere hearts. 
If you're finding it hard to imagine our New Testament Christian, I might ask one of you to come and stand on here. Um, but maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Uh, full of joy. They had glad and sincere hearts. They loved praising God. I mean, they just loved it. They enjoyed the favour of all the people. Trust, isn't it? And last thing we're told there is God added to them, God added to them those who were being saved. It wasn't just a random collection of people who happened to turn up, but they were added in. They knew who was part of them. God was adding people to them. The church was growing and there was a sense of togetherness as well. So what does it tell us about the church? Well, it tells us a whole load of things, doesn't it? And you could group those things together in any number of ways. And as I sat down this week, I thought, well, there's a whole, whole different way of, of grouping these together. There's all sorts of different headings that we could take. But I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to summarise it with these four things. It tells us the early church loved God. It tells us they loved one another. It tells us they loved those who didn't know Jesus yet. And it, told us that, it tells us they had a heart for reaching other nations. And these, those four things of loving God, loving one another, loving those who don't know Jesus yet and reaching other nations, friends, these are part of our culture. This is part of our DNA, if you like. It's in who we are as a church. It's what we're going for. And those four headings, we'll look at a couple of them in a second, uh, represent values that are important to us. So I want to unpick them a little bit. And as I was preparing this this week, um, I found that really there was too much to do in one morning. And so I split it into two. We're going to look at just two of them together now and two of them in subsequent week's time. But firstly, the first one we had there was loving God. Loving God. If we turn back to our New Testament Christian who's still standing here looking at us this morning, we would find somebody who loved God. Who loved God passionately. Acts says that they were devoted. Devoted. I wonder this morning if I was to ask you a question, would you describe your love of God as devotion or as duty? Devotion or duty? What is it for you? Our randomly picked out New Testament Christian here was someone who was devoted devoted to God and devoted to his fellow believers. This was no club that they just happened to go to at the weekends or at other times during the week. This was their life. They were devoted to God. Whole lifestyles were turned around. Priorities were changed. I think it's Ephesus, isn't it, where we read after Paul preaching that uh, people brought their scrolls and burned them publicly. The whole lifestyle was affected. Everything they'd been into previously, they were prepared to put aside, to put behind them, that which was sinful to destroy, and now they were living for God. They were devoted. Priorities were changed. You see, our experience of 21st century life can sometimes be too consumeristic. I haven't heard it around here, I'm pleased to say, but I have often heard people say, you know, if this, does, this church doesn't meet my needs, maybe I'll go somewhere else. There's that sort of consumeristic approach that can think, well, it's all about serving me. For the New Testament Christian, it's all about serving God. 
And they were devoted to God. There's none of this, oh, I might just go somewhere else if I don't like it this week or it doesn't suit me. There's none of that in this passage. They were devoted to God and committed to one another. They made a serious commitment, friends, of time, of energy, of money, of life, together. What does Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 27? He says this, John 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your minds. Pretty comprehensive really, isn't it? I don't think anything's excluded there. Jesus is saying, love God like this. And for the early church, that's what they did. Loving God means total commitment, total trust, total following of him, a devotion to him. So the question for us this morning is, are we doing that? Are you doing that? Am I? Is it a clear priority in your life? That's what we're called to do, to love God, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Enjoying God. Do you enjoy God? I don't know if you ever thought about it like that. Do you enjoy your time with him? Do you enjoy your relationship with him? Are you enjoying God? Or is it a struggle? Is it just going through the motions because you know you really ought to? Are you enjoying him? Is it a relationship or is it a religious duty? Loving God is putting him first in our lives, isn't it? Now part of loving God is expressed in our worship together, isn't it? When we gather together, part of loving God, not all of it, part of it is expressed in our worship. The early church was passionate in worship. Ephesians 5 says this, in Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul says this, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, isn't it, that Paul compares being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. He could have introduced that passage by saying a whole number of things, but he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Often, people who get drunk on wine become sort of deliriously happy. It doesn't last, obviously. It's not a good idea. But Paul says, hey, don't get happiness like that. It won't last. It doesn't do you any good. Listen, be filled with the Spirit. Because that's something that happens from the inside. God does something to you. Not just about feeling happy in a moment, but about knowing his joy. Be filled with the Spirit, says Paul. That's so much better. Don't do this. Be filled with the Spirit. And filled with the Spirit, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music, always give thanks to God. There's a sense of passion there, isn't there? In what Paul is saying. I want our times of worship when we gather together to be exuberant, joyful, vibrant, full of the presence of God, full of the Holy Spirit. That's the feel of New Testament worship, isn't it? It's what we should be going for. Isn't this a, oh, we better sing a few songs before someone speaks to us. But it's a, come on, let's engage with God. We're here to worship him. New Testament worship wasn't boring or lethargic or dull or dreary, but it was enthusiastic and passionate. And I think the New Testament church was full of enthusiastic, 
passionate people. God is a passionate God. Doesn't he? Think about it. God is a passionate God. So he deserves passionate worship from passionate worshippers. I wonder if we would describe one another as passionate in our worship. I want to urge us, let's engage with God. When we gather together, let's engage, let's get stuck in. Come prepared, prepare your hearts to worship God. Come prepared to bless Him, to worship Him. And as we gather together, what happens? God's presence comes. Wonderful, isn't it? What a great byproduct of worshipping God. God blesses us. Here we are blessing God, thanking Him, worshipping Him, telling Him how much we love Him, adore Him. What happens? God loves it. He blesses us. His presence comes. His Spirit comes to us. Wonderful benefit, isn't it? So let's gather with worshipping God in mind to thank Him for His love and grace, declare His praise, to shout His fame. Let's come eager to enter His presence. Enter his presence with thanksgiving, as the psalmist says, doesn't he? So I want to urge us, we can come eager, friends, because we're recipients of his grace. Whatever week you've had, whether for every single moment you've been following God faithfully, or whether, more likely, there have been moments of following him faithfully and moments of not, And wherever you are on that spectrum, if you know Jesus, then you can come confidently first song on a Sunday morning. You don't have to think, oh, well, I just need to get into worship. I need to come and be with God a bit first. Listen, because of God's grace, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, you can come, you can repent of what you need to, and you can enter his presence with joy. First called, or the first song. You can be there, eager to worship God. Not having to think, oh well, I better just get into God's presence, I better, whatever. You can come, because of God's grace. So I want to urge us, let's be eager to enter his presence, eager to bless him. It's not about how good you've been all week, or whether you feel worthy to come to him. It's about God accepting you because of his grace. So, we can enjoy God together. Amen? The early church too were full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, says this. I'm going to find it here. Acts 4, verse 31, says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. The context is Peter and John were being arrested and taken before the, uh, the Sanhedrin and uh, thrown in prison rather than the church saying, oh God protect us from this, please don't let it happen again. Rather they pray that God's kingdom will go forth and after they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit seems a common occurrence in the New Testament. It seems to happen a lot. It wasn't just something that happened once and they thought, well, that's it. But rather, it's something that happened on a regular basis. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. 
If you look at the actual words that are used in the Greek, what a better translation is, go on being continually filled with the Spirit. It's an active thing, it's ongoing. It isn't just a once-off, well I was prayed for at a meeting a few years ago, so well, I guess I must be filled with the Spirit. There's no, nothing like that in the, in, the, in the feel of the sentence. It's rather, go on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. So the question for us this morning is, are we full? Are you full? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Do you know his presence? Do you know his joy in your life? Do you know his guidance? Do you know his peace? Do you know his power? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? That would be God's question to us this morning. But as well as loving God, the early church loved one another. In John chapter 13, we read this, verse 34, if you're following. John 13, 34. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, because of your good works... People will know that you're my disciples. Because of your feeding the poor, because of your visiting those in prison, because of your declaring the gospel in the streets, whilst all those things are good and we're encouraged to do all of them, Jesus says, by this, by you loving one another, will people know that you're my disciples. If you were to do a study of the phrase one another, you'd find lots of references to it in the New Testament. You'd find uh, things in the Bible about honouring one another, being devoted to one another, not judging one another, greeting one another, serving one another, bearing with one another, being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, and so the list goes on. There's a lot of one anothering, isn't there, in Scripture. It's a common phrase. But probably all of them can be summed up by the one phrase, the three little words, love one another. Love one another. And this is what Jesus commands us to do. And as we do that, it demonstrates to a watching world that something has happened in our lives. Jesus says that by loving one another, all men will know that we are his disciples. How does Acts 2 put it? Well, it puts it like this. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Or we could say they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to one another. They weren't just acquaintances. Weren't even just friends. But they were devoted to one another. They were committed to one another as well. Acts 2 Uh, verse 45 says this, Acts 2.45 Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. They were committed to one another. There was a sense of family, wasn't there? The welfare of one another was more important than their monthly bank statements when it came in. The welfare of one another was more important than how they were doing financially. Meeting the needs of one another in the church, the members of the church, was important to them. As somebody had a need, 
somebody else who had some resources did something to meet the needs. It's interesting, isn't it? It wasn't just the church as an organisation, because it's very early in the church's setup here. It wasn't just the, somehow the organisation met their needs, but actually what happened is other people in the church met their needs. If you think about it for a moment, they must have known each other quite well to know that there were needs to start with. We could look around this morning and uh, you may know a few people well, but there'll be others who you don't know so well. And you wouldn't know what needs they had in their life. But for the church here, we're told that they were so committed to one another, they knew if there were needs, and it wasn't just as soon as they became a Christian, somehow they sold everything they had and lived in the commune, but rather they became a Christian and now the welfare of one another was important to them. And as they had resources to meet it, the needs that they came up, they met those needs. They sold things to release money to meet other people's needs. The early church, well as being devoted and committed to one another, they were joined together. They were joined together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 tells us this. Now, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He could just as easily write to us and say, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Each one of you is part of it. The early church were joined together. Right from a, quite a young age, I was taught the responsibility of being part of a family. Now, when I was younger, it might have taken shape in doing things like the washing up or clearing the table after dinner. As I got older, maybe my responsibility was to tidy my bedroom. Or perhaps as I got older still, uh, giving my younger sister lifts in the car that I borrowed from my mum. I had a responsibility in being part of the family. Now I had certain privileges as well. They included being able to turn up at certain times and being fed. That was a good privilege. I enjoyed that one. Another privilege was knowing that I was loved, knowing that I was accepted, knowing that I had a home and a family. But the privileges and responsibilities went together. It was because of the privileges I had that I had certain responsibilities to carry out in that context. And that's just part of being a family, isn't it? And it's the same for us as the church. We are a family on a mission together. It's one reason that membership is important to us. It's part of being joined together. It's part of being added in. Membership is an expression of probably what has happened in your heart already, if you're part of us. He's saying, yeah, I'm part of this group of people. I want to be committed to God and committed to this church. Membership is just an expression of what that means. Being added in. Being committed to one another. Being committed to a local church. Committed to its leaders, its vision. And to the other people that are in the church. It's being added in. And for us it's an important value. Because it expresses something of what we read about in the New Testament. So if you've been around us for a while and you're not a member yet, then please come and see me afterwards and I'd love to chat to you more about membership and what that means. It doesn't have to be a big hurdle to climb, but more often than not, it's an expression of what's happened already in your heart. 
There's a way of formalising that and saying, I'm committed to this. I want to be added in, joined together and part of what God's doing in this church. In fact, Paul tells the church in Rome that we belong to one another. Romans 12 verse 5 says this, So in Christ we who are, we, sorry, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to one another. That's our commitment to being part of the church. Joining a church gives expression to those things. Part of being in a family as well is serving, isn't it? In any family, we need to take responsibility for some things. It's another lesson that I was taught quite early on. My parents were involved in a local church and often I'd help my dad around the church and saw my parents serve and do different things and give of their time and give of their energy. And uh, you know, I'd often remember that if there was a special service on or a special event, you know, it was often my dad who was first there setting up and maybe last to leave, clearing up afterwards. And, uh, you know, I love to help him and go around it. I might just be putting out the chairs or tidying away bits of paper afterwards. But it was a lesson I learned early. And I'm grateful for learning it. Because I saw that serving was biblical. I saw that it was essential to the running of the church. And it was also a way of worshipping God. I've talked about worshipping God in terms of us gathering together and praising him. That's an important way of doing it. Another way of worshipping him is by serving. And it's true for us. Serving comes out of our love for God and being part of the family. If you've read this little leaflet that says living life together, then you will have seen, I guess, what it says on the back. Let me read it to you just in case you've missed it. It says this, serving. Life at Jubilee doesn't just happen automatically. Dedicated teams of people give hours leading cell groups, welcoming people, running great children's and youth activities and more. Why not join one of these teams, make friends and have fun whilst serving? To find out how to get involved, either email us or phone us, contact us in one way or another. Then it says children's work, worship team, youth work, welcome team, PA and AV team, student team, probably other teams as well that I haven't mentioned. Well, for us at the moment in life in Jubilee, there's probably a number of teams that are actively looking for people to join them and opportunities that you could have for serving in different areas of church life. Let me give you just two examples briefly. The first one is kids' work. If you've got children this morning of a certain age and they're not sitting next to you right now, it's probably because they are in our children's work. It may have been they've run off downstairs, but I suspect more likely they're in a room across there being taught and cared for. This is not a glorified babysitting service. But rather, as a church, we try and run a programme that engages with the children, introduces them to a life following Jesus, and it's a growing area of church life. But listen to this. Currently, we only have two leaders in this area. Now, that's unsustainable, actually. And it, the reality is it can't continue like that. And we urgently need more leaders to serve and to lead in children's work. Without that, we have to think, well, can we run it every week? Well, probably not, because we're just two people leading it. It's not sustainable and isn't fair on them. 
But actually, being part of the church, being committed to one another, being devoted to God and loving one another, it surely isn't a big issue for us to be able to staff it and to run it successfully. So, I want to ask you the question this morning, why not volunteer? The challenge is this, why not give just one week, just one Sunday morning, to finding out what it's like being involved in kids' work and seeing what happens. And maybe as you do that, you might come out thinking, I hate it, I'm never going back. Or maybe you'll come out thinking, yeah, actually, this is great. I could be involved in teaching some of these youngsters what it means to love Jesus and to follow him. I want to give my life to investing in some of these young people and children. Yeah, I want to serve in this area. Sign me up, how do I get involved? You'll probably come out one of those two answers. But can I ask you to do just this one thing? Give one week. Find out what it's like. And as we do that, I'm trusting God that more people will say, yeah, I want to be involved in this. I can give some energy and time to this and uh, see some of these children and young people come to know Jesus and follow him. Well, if you want to know more about that, see either Matt or see Chrissy. Today, before you go, think, yeah, I can do this. I could give a week. I could find out more and maybe start serving in that area of church life. Another area that we need to grow is that of our welcome team. Not only to welcome people on a Sunday morning, but to help integrate them into church life, to to follow them up, to offer help, and to see them um, get involved in church life and become part of a small group. Friends, this is absolutely essential as we grow. It is critical to our growth. You might think that's a bit hard, isn't it? Well, it is, and I believe it. It is critical and essential for us as we grow that this area of church life is staffed well by people who want to be part of it and can do it effectively. Because as we grow, it becomes harder to integrate new people. Maybe you're new to us. Well, friends, as we grow, it becomes a bigger challenge because there's more people around. Sunday morning, it becomes, well, there's more people and uh, not the students aren't back yet. So, and there are a lot of people away this morning. There's still 80-something people here. Well, as we grow and continue to grow, being welcomed into church life, being uh, enthusiastically, warmly welcomed on a Sunday and during the week and followed up and helped being integrated into church life becomes more and more important. Having an effective welcome strategy and team will help us grow. Guaranteed. So the requirements are this. The advert in the, small, in the, you know, the classified section of the newspaper might read this. It might say, friendly, warm-natured people required who are prepared to talk to people they don't know rather than just their own friends on a Sunday morning and then make a few phone calls during the week. Is this you? <laughs> if you want to know more about that, then see Val. Val, wave to us. Listen to what I said. Having the effective welcome strategy and team will help us grow. Guaranteed. I believe it. And it also means that we see people integrate into church life well. They find their place, get involved in a small group, make friends, begin to serve, see God do stuff in their lives. Friends, it's important to us. Now, we're running out of time, but I need to press on very quickly. Being part of a family together is to encourage community. 
Now, first we need to be clear that community life is important to us. It's what God requires. We need to be thoroughly convinced that it's biblical. And it is. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to Timothy. Timothy. Listen to Timothy. He says this, here is a trustworthy saying. It's Paul's way of saying, listen up, this is important. So, listen up, this is important. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, or we might say a leader, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer or leader must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Did you notice the hospitable bit? It's in there, in the requirements for, well, we say eldership, for senior leadership. This requirement, one of them is, is hospitable. Now, surely they're good requirements for everyone to aim at, for all of us to go for, regardless of whether we're a leader or not. So my question is this, are you hospitable? You can answer the question if you like. Are you hospitable? Are you being hospitable? Now, I think we need to challenge what can often be that very British perception that you know, an Englishman's home is his castle. And sometimes you might as well have a moat around it and have a drawbridge that draws up because no one ever comes. And we don't like to see anybody. Well, that's not the New Testament way of being community together. I want to urge us, make a point of having open homes. Encouraging one another to pop in and go and see others too. Now, it's much easier to do this in a small town than it is in a big city. But it just means you have to work harder. That's all. Let's make time to eat together. Verse 46 of Acts 2 isn't necessarily talking about the communion meal um, Gerald Kittle, Gerhard Kittle, I'm sure you've read him, his Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. It's a good read if you want it. He says this, commenting on the structure of the Greek text. He says, The breaking of bread in Acts 2.42 is simply a term for ordinary meals in which the believers find table fellowship in recollection of Jesus' own table fellowship with the disciples. It isn't necessarily talking about communion. They just hung out together. He doesn't quite put it like that, but I'll put it like that. They hung out together, ate food and made friends. That's what it's saying. That's the reality of it. That's my translation and it's reasonably accurate. It isn't necessarily talking about communion. They just hung out together, had fun, ate meals. Now, we have a presupposition, I'd suggest, that inviting someone over for a meal is a whole event for a whole evening. And we have to go to the trouble of cooking a special meal and really entertain them. Well, sometimes that's good, particularly if you're inviting me. No. <laughs> sometimes it's good. This is what I'm going to say. But it doesn't have to be like that. And it's nice to do that sometimes, isn't it? Get out the, the posh crockery, the best china, the cutlery that only ever comes out once in a blue moon. We've got some of that. But it doesn't have to be like that. That's not what hospitality is about. It's about saying to somebody, listen, we're eating at about six. Why don't you come over and join us for an hour? Let's have dinner together and you know, then you go on and enjoy the rest of your evening, do whatever you were doing. But it's just making some space. And I guess you're going to eat anyway. Reasonable assumption, I think. So why not have someone else round to eat with you? For a, for a period of time when I was training, I would stay at the home of Dave and Scylla Devonish. Now, Dave Devonish is part of the New Frontiers international team. He's always travelling, it seems, around the world and lots of times in other nations. 
And uh, if there was any one guy that was busy, it was him. But Dave and Scylla had a policy of opening up their home, and to our knowledge, they still do. Firstly, they had me to stay, and others as well. And even when I was staying for a week at a time, they would often have other people round for meals. The norm, I think, was having other people round for meals. The exception was not. At least that's how it seemed to me. Somebody would come in, have a meal, eat with them, chat a bit, help clear up, and then they'd disappear. They may be there for an hour or two. It wasn't the whole evening, but they were just opening their home, living life together, having other people round. didn't have to be a special meal. It doesn't take up much extra time, if any. And doing those sort of things is beginning to live our lives together. We're going to eat anyway, aren't we? So why not have somebody else around? See, hospitality was part of their culture. I'd love it to be part of ours too. So some practical advice and we're going to finish with these things. If you're single, don't spend all your time with other single people. If you're a student, don't spend all your time with other students. If you're married or have got a family, Don't spend all your time with other married people or families. Do you get the drift? Be creative. Have other people around. Maybe people who aren't like you, who are different, different stage in life, different age or backgrounds. We can do this. We can be creative. We can make it work. It's not hard. It's actually quite easy. And as we do it, it builds a New Testament church. Another way we try and encourage community is through cell groups. And if you've been coming to Jubilee on a Sunday but aren't part of a small group yet that we call cell groups, then, friends, you're missing out. Because part of being involved in us is being part of a small group. Jesus had a small group, didn't he? He took 12 disciples, spent a few years with them, trained them, them, invested in them. They changed the world. Turned it upside down. So for us, cells are a great place to get to know people, meet one another, make friends, share lives, care for one another, reach out, impact an area for Jesus, to live lives together. We've currently got groups, two groups in Oakwood, a group in Sinfin, another one in the city centre. By the end of the month, we'll have a group in Alverston as well. If you're in Alverston and would like to be in an Alverston cell group, see Matt and Louise afterwards and say, I want to be in your group! Because I think there are a number of people in Alverston and uh, my challenge to these guys, that I should give them publicly, they'll thank me for this afterwards, is that I think they could multiply it in six months. How do you think? Reasonable? Very generous. So I, I think we'd have two groups now within six months. I don't think it'd be that hard. I think we could do it. I don't think it's a big ask. Got faith for it. So, that's, that's my challenge to these guys. Leave the Alveston group, multiply it in six months. I'm sure you can. But being part of a small group is being part of the church. Not in some legalistic way, but rather it's a place to make friends. You will never get to know everybody on a Sunday morning. We used to be at the size where I knew everybody and I pretty much knew what was going on in people's lives. I don't know anymore. There are some of you I know well, many of you I don't know so well. But actually the way that you'll get to know people and make friends and actually disciple one another, care for one another, is in a small group. So if you want to know more about the small group, see me afterwards, see Matt and Louise. Find somebody who looks like they know, might know the answer. There are a few of them around. And finally, as we finish, 
The final part of loving one another is being welcoming. Being welcoming. I want to ask you very seriously now, please, talk to new people on a Sunday. Don't just gravitate towards your friends. Now, I have to work at this because the easy thing is to go to people you know. But actually, the better thing is to make sure people are being welcomed well. That's not just for the welcome team, it's for all of us. You must know what it's like to enter a room full of people you don't know. Well, every visitor that has come through those doors has had that experience. Probably you did on one occasion. So the least we can do, if they've made the effort to come, is to make the effort to speak to them, be welcoming, friendly, pleased to see them, engage them in conversation, maybe invite them around for a meal, invite them to your cell group, be friendly, smile, those sort of things. I have to admit, it really upsets me when I see new people sitting on their own and no one talking to them. And I think we used to be really hot on this, really good at it. I think probably we've let it slip a bit. So I want to challenge us and urge us to be a really welcoming and friendly church. Because we can do it. I know we can do it. We've done it before and I know we can do it again. And it's not difficult. It's something that all of us can do. So on a Sunday, be welcoming, be friendly. In your home, be welcoming and friendly. Have people round. Make a point of it. That autumn leaflet I referred to earlier is called Living Life Together. So the challenge for us is to make sure we are. As we do that, we're building God's church. Now they're just two of our values, loving God and loving one another. So let's make it our goal to build a passionate, loving, friendly, outward-looking, welcoming church full of passionate, loving, friendly, outward-looking, welcoming people. Amen? And as we do that, I believe God will add to us, we'll see his kingdom extended, and we'll see the city and other nations impacted for God. And so next time, when we look at these things, we'll look at loving those who don't know Jesus yet and reaching other nations. Let's stand together, we're going to pray as we close. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us ways to build your church. Thank you that you've given us values that are important to us. And uh, I pray now that you'd help us as we seek to build Jubilee to a church that honours you, that glorifies you. Help us in these things. Help us to love you. Help us to love one another. And Lord, be glorified in our midst, we ask it, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.